using the Four Noble Truths as a tool, expedient means uh, in daily life. Now, how I've used it always is to, you know, when I do get caught up into worldly conditions, personal relationships, desires, wishes, uh, resentments, fears, and all the rest, and re recognizing dukkha, there is, there is suffering. So living in a community like Amramati, it's easy to get, to, to put the community life, the worldly life, the conventional life, the uh, it can all be quite good wanting peace and harmony and fairness and uh, virtuousness and protect the community from forces of evil and division and disharmony. There's nothing wrong. It's not a judgment against, but also attachment to these desires. The result will be dukkha. So this is, uh, this is the kind of uh, clue the Buddha gave us, that there is dukkha, as a noble truth. It's placed in this, uh, it's kind of exalted, where dukkha generally is considered something we want to get rid of. You know, why me? Why does this happen, have to happen to me? Uh, we resent our suffering. We would like to live a life without any suffering whatsoever. Just, you know, the ideal of happiness and harmony and peace is a very beautiful ideal. But when we attach to that ideal, then, then of course, the nitty-gritty, the way life is for us, is not ideal. It's like this. M Buddhist monasticism is not an ideal. It's not, it's not supposed to be something perfect and harmonious in itself. It's, it's merely a convention. And conventions can be used or they can be identified with or attached to. So using this word convention, it's a, it's a construction, in other words. The Four Noble Truths is a construction. The Sangha, uh, Bhikkhu Sangha, Siladhara, all these are constructions. They're, they're made by human beings. They aren't divinely ordained. They're not created from, by God or anything. They are conventions. And so it's conditioned phenomena. The scriptures, isn't it? The Pali scriptures are conditioned phenomena. They're words. Conventions. Where in, in, in find in uh, other religions, the uh, scriptures are supposed to be inspired by God. So you can't, how can you question or, or counter something that, that you believe God wrote or God inspired? So, you know, there's, if you insult the Koran or the Bible or something, it's, you're a heretic or... Uh, you're expelled. It's, you can't do that because it's the word of God. 
where Pali scriptures is not the word of God. It's for reflection, for consideration, for practice. So there's bariyati, bati, 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 weti, these three aspects. Bariyati is a Pali word for, you know, as you study like the Four Noble Truths, the, the formula, tukka samudhayo niroda maga, is, that's the bariyati, that's the scriptural, that's the, the conventional structure. That's the formula. And there's nothing sacred about that formula. It's nothing, you know, you don't worship the Four Noble Truths. You know, some people do put the Tripitaka on the shrine and then men worship it. <clears throat> they think that's paying respect to the Dhamma. So, you know, Buddhism does have its superficial side, the Buddha is the Buddha Rupa, the Dhamma is the Tripitaka, the Sangha is the, are the monks. So that is, that's seen it only from the surface. It's like having, you know, worshipping something. It's not done with, with awakened awareness. It's not Bhattibhata or Bhattivaiti. It's merely grasping convention from from ignorance, not from uh, awareness. And when people criticize religion, such as communists say religion is the opiate of the people, or they do have a point, because when we just grasp the religious conventions, they, they do make us, they, they blind us. Part of ourselves does not awaken. We bend ourselves, we bind ourselves to conventions and can't see beyond the convention itself. And it can be very divisive. If I bind myself to the convention of Buddhism, then I'm at odds with the Christians and the Muslims and the Jews and all the rest, isn't it? Because they believe in God and we don't have a God, that kind of thing. It's a very superficial way of uh, thinking. It's not... It's not butty but ta, it's not investigating, looking into the way things are. It's merely operating from uh, grasping the convention out of ignorance. So you can grasp Buddhist conventions and still uh, with ignorance, with the self-view, the cultural biases, the, the assumptions and so forth that one might bring along with your form of grasping. So the thing that impressed me with Ajahn Chah in Thailand was that he, uh, you know, his whole whole emphasis was on Bhati Bhatta. Because in Thailand, which is a Buddhist uh, country, 95% at least consider themselves Buddhist, yet it is uh, oftentimes just conventionally Buddhist. And so it's grasping of the convention uh, without awakened attention, without bhati bhata, can be. But there's also teachers like Lumpacha, Bhutatasa, and others that were enlightened masters. 
they emphasize the practice rather than just going through the ceremonies and supporting the illusion of being a Buddhist on the conventional level. So he he used the word bhattibhat all the time. You know, this is we're practicing practitioners putting into practice this four noble truths. Now the four noble truths are is pretty, you know, it's very well spelled out teaching, and you chant the Tamajaka Pawantana Sutta. It's it's all there. It's a beautifully constructed teaching in itself. Don't just grasp the, the Four Noble Truths as a convention, but it's to put into practice. It's for use. It's like the key to the prison cell. The Buddhist gave us the key to get out of the prison cell. And it's for use. You don't put the key on the shrine and worship it, otherwise you You'll never get out of the cell. You're stuck in prison. So you, you kind of, what is it for? And what is this key for? You know, what what do I, you know, is supposed to liberate me from this terrible prison I'm in? How how do how can it do this? How how to use it? And then you you have to consider the use of a key. And so this uh, four noble truths is a key. It's like that, how to use it for liberation. It isn't through just believing in it or just kind of thinking about it. It's not, it's not a party line drama that, that the Buddha gave us. We're not supposed to just say all life is suffering and, and the, never go any deeper than, than seeing things on the most kind of spurious and conventional and superficial plane. Dukkha is something that we all experience. And even in a monastery, you know, where you have, it's supported on alms, generosity, goodness, it, you know, it has all the supportive conditions, dana and sila, you have the People come, they offer out of goodness, out of generosity, virtuousness, like this winter's retreat, isn't it? It's supported by the virtuousness, generosity of lay community. And then the sila, we've got the vinaya, the precepts and all that. that. But still, even with dawn and sila, we can still be totally miserable even with living with virtuous people, monks and nuns, isn't it? We, uh, with uh, virtuous lay supporters, we can still be totally miserable in our minds. In a beautiful place. You know, you're living in countryside, southern England. So dukkha then is... is um, is the key to the door, you know. So the suffering we experience in monastic life is to be used. It's not to blame it on others or to keep looking for a monastery or some place where there's no suffering, because you'll never find one. And there isn't any such place. 
Because this realm that we're experiencing, the human, human realm, the sense realm, having a body like this, human body with, with senses, we're set up for suffering. This is the reality of dukkha. Because it is a sensitive form and we'd like to have only pleasurable sense sensations. Success, happiness, praise, everything at its best. But yet the sense world is, is this relentlessly changing reality that we're, we're stuck with. The, the, the needs of a physical body. The way it is constantly being impinged on through the, through the world around us, through nature, through the society. Isn't it? We're constantly exposed to irritation to the senses. This is why in uh, reflecting on the way it is, when we chat about old age, sickness, death, grief, lamentation, sorrow, despair, loss of the loved, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, I am the owner of my karma. These are, are not to be just parroted kind of Buddhist uh, beliefs. Therefore, awaken us to the realities of our human state that we're experiencing as you as men and women living in the in these human bodies in the here and now it's like this so then in uh, in in our reflection this is why we can reflect on it and that's why the four noble truths is, a, are, is such a skillful convention the buddha this was his first sermon after his enlightenment because it's taking the most common experience of any human being and then using that rather than just trying to run away from suffering. Uh, using it to investigate. So there is suffering, suffering should be understood, suffering has been understood. So this is the Bariati bati bat bati weti formula. It's a reflective style the Buddha was teaching. Is he is a, uh, suffering? Suffering should be understood as the second insight into it. It's to understand it. To understand suffering, you ha you can't just resist it or get run away. You have to look at it, admit it, notice it. It's this way. Discontentment, worry, anxiety, self-consciousness, fear, not liking cold weather, wanting something you don't have, not wanting things to be the way they are. These are to be understood, not to be believed in and just resisted or followed blindly, but to be used. This is what supatipano is when we take refuge in Sangha. It's not monks and nuns, it's supatipano, ujupatipano. Supatipano is practices in the right way. One who's practicing 
no, not somebody who just believes in Buddhism because they they like the ideas of it. It's supati, one who's actually putting it to practice, using the the teaching for insight, for liberation. So you have the bati 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 weighty. Then there's the, that's the the result of practice is bati weight, bati weighty, isn't it? So you notice this. This is the, what we call reflective awareness. You're taking something ordinary, banal, vulgar, even common, just ordinary discontentment will do it or just a- anxiety or worry or self-consciousness, things like this. They don't have to be, you know, serious traumas. This is feeling of discontentment, of, of just not feeling good enough or whatever. However, whatever form you recognize, it's like this. There is dukkha. And then, then this, it should be understood is, is uh, what to do with it when you see dukkha rather than just react to it like trying to run away from it or get rid of it you turn to it to understand something you have to accept it you have to look at it if it's just reaction then you can never understand anything isn't it if you're just reacting like Pavlovian dog the bell rings and you salivate because that's that's what you're conditioned to do, just uh, like that. We, we can be just conditioned creatures. You know, dukkha, run away from it. I don't want it. And that's what most of the society does, is just trying to run away from it. Distract yourself from anxiety, worry, discontentment. Take, take to drink or drugs or anything. Of getting away from suffering, reacting to to suffering because we don't like it, don't want it. So it should be understood. Is the is the advice, you know, the second insight, and that's bati bata. And then the result of that is suffering ha- has been understood. See, so this is just pointing out, as I have many times, this this formula of reflection of bariati bati 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 weighty. Then the second noble truth, the origins of suffering, the causes, and this is beautifully said in a, like there is a. Gamadana, Bhavadana, Vipuvadana, attachment to desire is the cause of suffering. These three kinds of dana. So what is dana? You know, is it what is desire? And you begin to ex- notice what desire is. You can observe desire. So the bariati is the statement there is the origin or the causes of suffering they should be let go of and then the bhati weight they have been let go of 
or letting go is like this. So desire then, or dunha, Pali word dunha, is three, three kinds of desire. Wanting, isn't it? Longing. Wanting something that's pleasing to your senses. Wanting to become something. Wanting to get rid of pain. To get rid of suffering. Wanting to be happy. Wanting to become happy. To become fulfilled. Wanting to become enlightened. Wanting to get rid of your defilements. Wanting to get rid of suffering. Wanting to get rid of fear and anger and so forth. So there are three kinds of desire. The sensual desire, that's a desire that you, you know, through the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, wanting pleasant, beautiful, uh, exciting, sensory experiences. And then, in the monastic life, we, we, we the delusions we have are, are a lot around bawadanha vipavadanha. We're striving to become something, wanting to become, wanting to attain, wanting to achieve, wanting to get rid of anger or jealousy or fear or lust. Wanting to get rid of suffering. Wanting to get rid of self-consciousness. So this is, desire is something that arises and ceases. The awareness of desire, the, this reflective paradigm. The variety is a statement, but it's not a statement to be grasped, it's a statement to remind us. There are the causes of suffering. They should be let go of. So letting go of desire is batibata. We have to know what desire is to let go of it. You can't just wish you could let, want to let go of desire as another desire. Or think you should let go of desire because the Buddha told us to do it. That's just grasping the idea again. But it's... it's uh, to, to let go of something, you have to know what you're attached to, what attachment is. So this is why you reflect on the suffering, the dukkha, the samudhaya, the causes. So in letting go, and that's quite an insight, letting go of desires, not getting rid of or annihilating, but once you see the causes, the grasping out of ignorance, it's the insight to letting go, should let go, and then the insight, the butty weight, butty weighty is you actually observe a knoll, desire has been let go of. And this is intuitive understanding. It's discernment. It's not 
intellectual. This is where, you know, you, why you're looking, or you're observing your own uh, mind states, observing the suffering that, that you're experiencing, not what somebody else is experiencing. And then the third uh, cessation, niroda, then the bariati statement, there is the end of suffering. It should be realized. So the bariati is that there is the end of suffering. The bhati bhati is it should be realized. And then bhati is cessation has been realized. <clears throat> now this, this English word realize is a, a very useful term because we use it all the time. Do you realize what you're saying? Do you realize the truth? Do you? We use it as a common, common word in English. But actually when you put it in the context of reality, the real, that cessation is reality or you know everything ceases everything that arises ceases with this insight we're recognizing the cessation say of mental states of emotional energies cessation of the world the end of the world, see, you know, like seeing this all the time, the end of the world. And in this, I don't mean this on a grand scale like Armageddon on that, but just in the, in the ordinariness of this meditation retreat, the end of the world, the world arises and ceases. And discerning when the world has ceased is like this. And that's, that's reality, to recognize, realize Dhamma rather than the world. Cessation of the world. Cessation, uh, it's not grasped as an idea anymore, it's intuitive. It's real. It's a fact. It's not, it's not make-believe or, or dependent on specially refined uh, conditions that give the illusion of peace and tranquility. Sometimes in uh, monastic life we get really selfish. We want peace and tranquility. We want a lot of time to ourselves in situations where nothing, uh, nobody talks to us and, and we, you know, because we can get into a nice concentrated state we like that wanting wanting tranquility is one of the temptations of this life but cessation is happening all the time so when you observe the puto tamo relationship bati bata then realizing cessation. 
cessation should be realized and then cessation has been realized. Now this is uh, this is quite profound actually simple but it's subtle because we actually believe in the world as our reality. This is, you know, to break through this illusion, this de delusion we have. We believe the, it's the real world that's reality. It's society. It's uh, the conventional world is the real world. The real world is our relationships with each other. This is reality. The real world is the material world. The property, the buildings, the cultural conditioning. This is what we believe is real. But reality is none of that. These are conditions arising, ceasing, dependent on other conditions. Reality is in through the awareness of the nature of conditioned phenomena, discerning. And this is intuitive awareness. It's not analytical thought anymore. It's letting go of analytical thought and conceptual uh, grasping of concepts to a profounder kind of knowledge of knowing direct knowing, jnana uh, dasana, insight knowledge. And the fourth noble truth from realizing cessation, cessation has been realized, then there's samaditi, or perfect understanding. They, some people translate sama as perfect. It is perfect. It's not just being right anymore, because if there's right, there's wrong. But it's comprehensive understanding. I mean, on the conventional level, things can be right but not true, true but not right. When the conventional world is no longer what we're grasping, then it's perfect understanding. It's complete. And this uh, Samaditi Samasangapo, the Eightfold Path, follows into Panya, Sila, and Samadhi. The Samaditi Samasangapo is the discerning ability, the clarity of knowing, of Jnanadasana, of intuitive knowing, not just believing in Buddhist ideas anymore. And then Sama Vaja Sama Gamanda Sama Jivo, how we live our life, how we use our the rest of our life as a human being living in, in the world, in the society, the way it is. How are we going to live here at Amravati as a human individual? Sama Waja, Sama Gamanto Sama Chivo. That's about action and speech.
the manifestation through the body and speech toward the world, the environment, the society we're, we're existing in. And then samavayamo uh, samasati samasamadhi. That's equanimity, balance, emotional balance. We're no longer just lost in the yo-yo, emotional yo-yo experience of up and down according to conditions. And emotionally, it's, I'm very vulnerable emotionally because, you know, I praise, I'm happy, blame, I'm miserable. I can be happy or miserable just in a second. I can, uh, you know, I can be happy one moment and miserable the next. But by what other can how other conditions affect me? You know, so it's just you know you feel and that's why emotionally it's so scary the world because you know it's such a the emotional world for us is our reality. You know how sensitive I am and my feelings and 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 the, it's so dependent on other conditions. You know, you're kind of helpless in this society, in this world, where the ability to control it so you feel safe and secure and happy is, is very dodgy, isn't it? There's always this anxiety because it's so easy for the sense of security and being loved and appreciated can be eradicated in a, in a second. So we do, you know, we get paranoid, we get neurotic, obsessed with controlling things, frightened of anything different, alien or foreign, get very protective, fortress mentality, build a, build a little fortress around yourself, protect yourself as best you can from all the uh, unknown alien forces that can attack you and harm you in some way. No, the emotional life is uh, so uh, fraught. It's what the melodramas are about. What soap opera is about. Success and failure. Look at just a football match, isn't it? Football game. Um, excited or depressed people can become masses of people over who wins and who loses. That's emotional, isn't it? Just my team won the cup. And, oh, so happy today. It just life is fantastic. You know, I don't know anybody on the team. <laughs> <laughs> but I can be emotionally elated or depressed if I attach to football team out of ignorance. Now, I'm not trying to deny the pleasure of games, but to see how the emotions are very dependent on winning and losing and praise and blame and feeling healthy or sickly. You know, feeling healthy, I feel, you know, I want to be healthy and vigorous. I don't like being sick and weak and lack of energy and having 
a cold or a sore throat or a runny nose or any of these. I don't, I don't like any illnesses, pain, arthritis, things like this, swollen feet. I don't want swollen feet. And then the emotions are, go accordingly. I feel wonderful today or I feel m weak and miserable, headachey, feverish, how can I get rid of it? So, some are vayamo, some are sati, some are samadhi. This is a balance. It's not a lack of emotion. It's not like I insensitivity. But it's, it's finding a stillness, a peacefulness that you only get through right understanding, not through uh, controlling conditions. The only way one can be free from emotional habits is not by getting rid of them or suppressing them, but by understanding them, seeing them for what they are. And that discerning banya ability to discern the emotional habits we have. The Eightfold Path should be cultivated or developed. And so this is where pawana really begins. When we use pawana, this, this Pali word, it means cultivating the Eightfold Path in daily life. And this takes a way to use our lives in the, here in the, in the monastery is to cultivate Bhavana. It doesn't mean just sitting on a zafu endlessly, but it means integrating, being mindful, the using the Four Noble Truths in the situations that we find ourselves in, in relationships with the other members of the community, with our as our vipaka kama ripens, as various emotional feelings, as experiences, conditions arise. So over the years, you know, I had insight very early on. But I still had to, even though the, I had the insight, still the Vipaka Kama was, still had Vipaka Kama, still had the, the momentum of habit tendencies, of self-views that would easily dominate consciousness. So when I became a bhikkhu and trained with Ajahn Chah in Wat Bapong, it you know, that life there brought up so much of the ego, of the sense of myself, learning to, to conform to the Vinaya, to the tradition, to the way they did things in that monastery. And that it would bring up all kinds of feelings, emotions, personal likes and dislikes and and it wasn't just because I you know had such faith in Ajahn Chah I just could live there uh, in a kind of tranquil state it was a, a real exercise in observing using the Four Noble Truths for observing the causes of suffering and the cessation of suffering in the way that they lived their lives there you know the way they did it, the way, you know, the conventional form, 
that I uh, asked to enter into. You know, I wasn't forced into it. I, I asked to stay there. So I, I, had, I was willing to use that convention as a way of helping me to observe my Vipaka Kama. So there in those early years I did begin to get the point sometimes, you know, you go through all kinds of emotional obsessions around things. You know, basically the reflection was, you know, you had good teacher, generally the, the monks uh, were good people. I mean, they were trustworthy, morally trustworthy, good Buddhist monks, even though I didn't, you know, some I didn't like. On a personal level, some I liked, some I didn't. But on the, this is where reflecting on the supatipano rather than on personal preferences or personal inclinations or likes or dislikes. Because that's Sakya Diti. You had food, shelter, robes, and medicine. So four requisites. Dhammavinya. This was, this was what I saw at Wat Pong was complete there. You had Dhammavinya and the four requisites. This was all I needed. That's all that's necessary. You need something to eat, something to wear, and so forth. These were all provided being, you know, keeping under the Vinaya. You can't have money or anything, so you, you are dependent on the others for basic requisites. Well, those basic requisites were adequate there. And the Dhammavinya was we encouraged to practice Bhattibhata using the convention of Vinaya. The restraint on action and speech and and kind of agreements on behavior was the Vinaya from, in a, from the tradition. You know, but then the Sakyaditi still, still had a lot of that, Vipaka Kama, of liking, disliking, being irritated, frustrated, annoyed, rebellious, become indignant, righteous, become very attached to rules, become really fussy about the rules and look down on others who didn't keep the rules very well. Sakyaditi, because not only was it rebelling against restraint, it was attachment to restraint, to rules, to regulation, to create a sense of superiority, of I'm better monk than you are kind of thing. And so the, the Sakyaditi, uh, you know, was the point of it was not to become a better monk than somebody else, but to see the suffering, the causes of suffering, this end of suffering, and then living the life so that there isn't suffering. I'm not creating the conditions because I see there's this knowing of 
the way of non-suffering, which is the Eightfold Path, Samadhiti Samasangapo. We have living in this realm of suffering without creating suffering. So this is what we call an enlightened human being, someone that knows these truths. It's within the human ability, isn't it? It's not taking, it's not some kind of refined esoteric goal that we're, you know, we're aspiring to that's so high. It's taking something quite banal and ordinary like suffering and exploring it. The most common human condition that every human being has to experience from the most privileged to the most underprivileged in whatever society, wherever. Throughout my years as a monk, so Four Noble Truths is because in, as your karma ripens, you don't, people go through various stages of inspiration and vows and, and love for the Dhamma and monastic form and it can all be, you know, one can dedicate one's life to it and then suddenly it'll all fall apart. All the inspiration goes and you just see it as a dreary existence. Celibacy is a kind of dreary existence and then you, you, you get critical of the monks and nuns and you, you feel pretty miserable life. And then there's a lot of people supporting that view, you know, lay community around, especially in non-Buddhist countries, quite willing to tell you what a, you know, you don't need to become a monk or a nun. Well, that's how, I mean, there's, you, one goes through various love-hate relationships with the conventions. But then this is where exploring this, the, when, when all your faith and confidence and love of Theravada Buddhism, Thai forest tradition, Amravati, Chitters, and all the rest, what am, what am I attached to that, that's the cause of suffering? Well, you know, I was expecting a lot from this life and I didn't get what I was expecting. And uh, we can, you know, see it in terms of personal disappointment or I didn't get what I came for. But if you really use this Four Noble Truths, that's suffering, isn't it? I am not getting what I want. I'm not content with the way it is. I want it to be otherwise. I want something else. Now this is dukkha, desire, attachment, and that to be recognized, understood, and then let go of. If you do that, then more and more using that, then you begin to find this a kind of stability. You know, you're no longer just needing to be inspired or uplifted or you no longer 
need for inspiration. That falls away. That's another desire. Sama Vayamo Samasati Samasamati, this perfect stability, stillness. It's real. It's not a, a created state of samadhi. It's not refined like getting very tranquil and blissful. But it's stable, unshakable, agupa jeda vimuti, unshakability. When your vipaka kama ripens and you're no longer frightened of it. You're willing to take whatever comes. You know, and whatever comes my way as an individual, praise or blame, success or failure, health, good health, bad health, this is not, I don't worry about it. It's not something that, you know, is a problem. I'm, will, I'm willing to learn from whatever vipaka or resultant karma arises till the death of this body can be success, failure, praise, blame, good health, bad health. So then this this stillness, stability, samavayamo samasati samasamadhi, is the result of bhavana has been realized, has been cultivated, has been developed. So that's why in in your life here, when you feel frustrated, angry, disillusioned, disappointed, whatever, this is good stuff for, this is good dhamma. This is to be recognized and it leads to end of suffering. So you can see that this uh, Four Noble Truths is not to be dismissed as beginner's Buddhism. Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's 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 like something a useful tool to use for because throughout your life through the peaks and and uh, valleys through the best times and the most miserable times this this four noble truth is applies to everything to whatever we experience through our life in this incarnation in this form. So if you keep keep using it as a way of reflecting, you know, if I'm suffering, like here in, in the community, wanting the community to be in harmony, not wanting to have disharmony. Now that's a good desire, isn't it? But then when there's disharmony, then I feel, you know, oh God, there they go again. More, di- more misery, more creating problems, who's at fault, 
who's to blame. And now I can get carried away with resentment or negative feelings about the Sangha. Then there's, an, I'm, there's suffering. What am I attached to that I'm suffering? I want, I want the Sangha to be harmonious when it's not. I want it to be the way I want it to be rather than the way it is. And I think we in the sea, wanting something to be, not wanting it to be the way it is, not wanting this disharmony, I, I, I t the attachment to that creates this sense of resentment. And then I can let go of it. I, I can spot it, then I can let go of it. It, it becomes spontaneous, letting go, cessation, end of suffering. Now the world will always have crises and there's always something that you know, in the Sangha life there's threats and disappointments, disillusionments and, and all kinds of worldly conditions arise in it. We, what do we expect from it? What do we want from being, becoming a Samana? And so I'm not saying it's not, not to be used for personal attainment. It's a, it's a tool to be used for reflection, for liberation. Not for creating a, a sense of being a samana, a monk or a nun, or being any, anything, just another identity to attach to. It's merely an expedient means. So this, this uh, Four Noble Truths, uh, Dependent Origination, that's another one to, to reflect upon. Avicca, if there's avicca, there's going to be misery. So then the, this is a Paticca Samupada, Dependent <laughs> If there's no avicca, there's no suffering. So then this avicca is ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. You know. So the, you, these are, you see the skillfulness of these teachings, they're, they're to be investigated, they're for investigation. They're not just clever intellectual exercises. And then you've got the ten fetters and the four stages. Now this is how you can tell when there's path knowledge and when there's still this sense of Sakyaditi Silabhata Brahmasa Vichikicca is so clearly stated, so obvious that, that uh, realizing stream entry, is that such a difficult impossibility? You know, if you believe it is, that's, that's still Sakyaditi, isn't it? And they think, I'm, 
whether you know, start questioning whether you're a sotapanna or not. That's vichikicha, sakyaditi, and then with then doubt. Am I is Ajahn Sumedho a sotapanna or not? And things like this. That's doubt. Or whether you, whether you, you know, or, you know, are you still just a batuchana, an unenlightened person who's trying hard to practice well? It's that's still sakyaditi, isn't it? No matter how you create yourself, or to assume that you're a sotapanna is sakyaditi. It's not about becoming. Or attaining, it's a, it's a for reflection. So stream entry isn't a personal attainment. It's uh, it's recognition of the fetters that that blind you to the path. See, so you if you're still caught in the first three fetters, then and you you can't see outside those three fetters. Can't get yourself in any perspective, but through the fetters, then of course it is. It can lead to despair and or you can delude yourself. You know, you can get very tranquil and develop a strong samadhi practices and think you've attained something. The Four Noble Truths in the Sakyaditi, the self-view, personal view, personality view, Thilabhata Bharamasa, the conditioning, cultural, social conditioning, and the vichikicha, the doubt that comes from attachment to thinking. So always thinking from the self-position will lead to doubt. Have I realized stream entry or not? Vichikicha, third fetter, it's like this. Now, just exploring language, thinking process, it always takes you to wichikicha, doubt. Unless you just suppress doubt and kind of like a born-again Christian and just believe blindly. But if you, you know, if you're really looking at doubt, awake at this uh, satisampachanya, is, doubt is to be understood. It's not something to just suppress and deny. So personality is not to be discarded and, and, and suppressed, but to be understood, to see, to know Sakyaditi, Siddhabhata Brahmasavichi Kicha. Then there's Sati Panya, then there's discernment. This is, this is in, intuitive intelligence. It's universal, in other words. It's not personal. As soon as it becomes personal, then it, you know, you're lost again into sakyaditi. So that's why, you know, encouraging you to really observe the, how language, how thinking operates. Just, I had the powerful insight into just thinking how one thought goes on to the next. You know, when you when you're just caught in the thinking mind, then you you wander in this uh, papancha 
proliferating, conceptual proliferating. And then you, you know, you just caught in it. Am I? Should I? What should I do? Should I disrobe? Should I stay? Should I practice samatha? Should I get the jhanas first? Should I? Do I need the jhanas? Do I, am I really a Buddhist? Or I have more faith in the Tibetan tradition? Or I, I'm really a Christian at heart? Should I or shouldn't I? What should I do next? Theravada Buddhism, it's all just patriarchal oppression of women. What should I do about that? What should I do about this or that? Thai forest tradition, and on and on, it proliferating, uh, conceptual proliferating, Sakyaditi, Silabhadra Bharamasa, Vichikicca. You know, then we, we start doubting and because we're caught in the in the attachment to views and opinions, to feelings, to sakyaditi, personal identities, to cultural attitudes that we have, cultural ideals, cultural assumptions social identities and so forth and and so this is where the awakened consciousness is it's not denying that or suppressing it's recognizing the suffering that comes through attachment to the conventions out of ignorance the attachment to the conventions the result is dukkha So in the sense of me, my personal feelings and how I feel about things is, this is personal and it doesn't, it isn't a denial or suppression of feeling, but it, the transcending the feeling, my own personal feelings, there's an awareness of it. There's a knowing of the feeling is like this, that the sense of my, I'm personally offended or I don't, I, I don't like this. I don't want life to be like this. There's a, there's a knowledge, a knowing of this. And this is like puto tamo. Then the, your refuge is in knowing dhamma rather than in uh, personal views about how things should be. So the what I'm trying to encourage is putting the emphasis on what is liberating rather than ideals of how things should be. Because this is nothing, life is never going to be what, you know, what we really want. But it uh, will always be the way it is. So this is, this is to, to bring attention during this retreat, especially, so that you can integrate it into ordinary life so that you can actually not suffer from the conditions that one has to experience the vipaka karma of one's life physical, emotional, mental that conditions that arise in our consciousness during the uh, you know, from now to, to the death of the body. <laughs>